0: All righty. Good morning, once again. Good morning. Uh, it's good day. To... <laughs> Man, people pick up on these things so quickly. It's great. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter six. We will be concluding that chapter this morning, which is awesome. We are in a series and have been for some time called "The Good Life: Human Flourishing According to Jesus," from the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. Amen. Uh, yeah, what a journey it's been. Uh, don't have time, like I said last week, for too much of a recap, which is a good thing. We've got a lot to cover this morning in the passage that I will be reading for you this morning, and we'll be looking at verses 25 to 34. I just want to say this as a preface. You're going to see what the subject is right away, for some of you who already know because I gave it away last Sunday, uh, but normally I like to finish my notes, whatever I'm going to write to hopefully bring some clarity and some help to you on a Sunday by Thursday, Friday at the latest, well, this week it was like 4 o'clock yesterday. And the reason for that was it wasn't that I didn't know what to write. There's an old saying, if the sermon doesn't preach to the preacher, it's not going to preach. So I just want to confess in advance, there's a lot of what we're going to talk about here today that I was just reading all week and thinking, oh my, oh my. Oh my, so I'm just glad that the Lord's not done with me. If you have your Bibles, let's read. I'm going to read the passage for you, then we'll pray one more time, and we'll dive in today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food? "'and the body more than clothing? "'Look at the birds of the air. "'They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, "'and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. "'Are you not of more value than they? "'And which of you, by being anxious, "'can add a single hour to the span of his or her life?' Hmm. "'And why are you anxious about clothing?' Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here together as brothers and sisters, uh, men and women, as your children here today or are yours, to hear your words, Lord Jesus, how timely it is, not just in our day and age, but in just the events of this last week. Lord, again, we thank you so much for the life of our sister Ingrid DeVos. Middle name, Grace. I didn't know that. Lord, thank you for her. Thank you for bearing her up and Norm and the family. And we continue to pray for them this week that you would continue to do that. We pray that you would take away all anxiety and worry about any details. You will just work them through. Tomorrow is tomorrow. So, Lord, I pray that as we go through this wonderful and amazing text today, that you would speak to all of our hearts, that you would encourage us, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, in the way that you intended to do through these words. These are true words of encouragement. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that today. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So, have a sermon title and three points for you. Go figure sermon title is, you're going to love this, Stop Worrying, Would You? Okay, I think it just says Stop Worrying. I hope to show you three reasons why from this text that we looked at today. Number one, because God is the King of Life. The God of this universe is the King of Life. Secondly, because you are the King's child, if you're in Christ. And thirdly, because his kingdom is yours and mine. You get that? Okay, let's get started. One word, anxiety. Anybody? (laughs) Anybody got the t-shirt, okay? To say that these are anxious days is probably one of the greatest understatements that could be said or could be preached from a pulpit, right? Could be commented on. I mean, really, really anxious days. I remember saying to Janice, maybe about six to nine months into the lovely old pandemic, so maybe August, September of that year, 2020. And I remember, you know, waking up one morning, we're having coffee, and I said to her, you know, honey, I, I think, you know, I think that it, there was a time when most of us would wake up in the morning and like our anxiety and worry meter would be on like three. You know? Unless, of course, we had a bad night because we woke up full of anxiety and worry about something, right? And then maybe it was a little bit higher, like when you woke up. But as I said to her at that point, you know, I, I felt like, I was waking up every morning and my anxiety meter was already at 25%. Anybody? And and then I would get up and of course <laughs> what we would do some people throw up their hands great appreciate the helping me out here but you wake I would wake up and then it would be like all day like getting watching CBC looking at the news finding out what's going on you know like how's and then waiting waiting all day patiently I might add okay not so much for dear Dr. Bonnie Henry to give a report at 4 p.m. every day. Anybody? What are the numbers? <laughs> like, where are we at? Is this thing going to kill us? It was, it was really, obviously, a very, very high and panicked time. So at that point in the pandemic, I think most of us, as I said, had a very high anxiety level the minute we woke up. Some of us fared better, but as I observed, to be honest with you, uh, people's responses <laughs> to mandates, masks, and vaccines. i tell you what what, what came out was obviously anxiety. Depending on whichever side of the, the pendulum you were on, most of our comments and our feelings about that thing was based on a great deal of worry and anxiety. So here's a question for you. Is it over? The pandemic? Or the worrying about it? And listen, of course, it's not just the pandemic. There, there's a lot more going on in our world to be anxious about, right? Uh, of course, the political landscape is very unsettled. Now, I'm older than most of you here, and I've seen some political upheavals over the years, you know, Bay of Pigs many years ago, you know, Khrushchev in Russia and, and and Kennedy in the United States, and nuclear war is a threat. Okay, so it was a fair bit of worry and anxiety back at that time. So, you know, it's like this, and things get better, and then not so much. But lately, it seems to be very unstable. Now, add to that, there's a war in the Ukraine, and that based on the war in Ukraine, there's this little, maybe not so little, threat of a nuclear deterrent. If necessary, that can create some anxiety. And so, again, let me suggest this to you. No, actually, the pandemic's not over. I'm not trying to add worry and fear to you, but read a good book this summer. Amongst many of the good books I've been recommending to you, John Eldridge wrote a book called Resilient, trying to encourage, as a biblical counselor, which he is really doing more of in his work today, used to be a pastor and a writer and author, and and encourage people through these times uh, he, he makes the case very strongly in this book, Resilient, and he's trying to, of course, build in us the confidence to be resilient. But, but he makes this point, is that, is that, you know, what he's observing is that people are trying very much after two to three years of this pandemic to get back to life the way it was before, get back to normal, right? And, and so what we're doing is what most of us are doing is we're just giving ourselves full on to, oh, I can get on an airplane and fly somewhere? Okay, so we're doing that. And we're doing that as much as possible. Oh, and I can go back into the mountains and I can go do this and I can go to live hockey games. I can go to live um, music events and plays and musicals and all the rest of it. I can do that. And people are really, really giving themselves to it. He would suggest in the hope that they'll get over all this. Well, in his book, he makes this point, And I, I think it's pretty clear from what counselors and psychologists would say in our world today. Most of us are suffering a Trauma. And we may not even be aware of it. And so on that level, it's not over. Barna researched a very large Christian-based research organization in the United States, released some troubling statistics recently. They have found in their surveys that adults aged or young adults aged 18 to 28 are reporting significantly higher rates of anxiety and suicidal thoughts manifesting as suicidal thoughts, pardon me, panic attacks, and deep depression, triple what they were 15 to 20 years ago. Triple what they were. The stats for this age are almost, as I say, triple, but they're not much better for the rest of us, statistically. Finally, of course, the pharmaceutical industry has been one of the best bets for investors over the past 15 to 20 years, but especially lately, right? And, of course, their medications for psychological disorders and anxiety and depression uh, are, you know, some would say very necessary in times like this, but their sales are way up. Oh, and by the way, if you didn't know statistically, B.C. uh, liquor stores had a record year the last two years in a row. Why? Because it's called anxiety. Anxiety. And it's called fear. And that's how oftentimes we deal with it. I think all of you know that that's not healthy. I know that. So we might think, as we look at these words that Jesus spoke, that he preached this sermon actually, he was preaching forward. (laughs) He was actually preaching forward to you and I here today because we're pretty much the most anxiety-driven population of culture of all time. And we are. But that's not true. He was preaching it to his disciples in that day for specific reasons. Because why? Well, because they were full of anxiety and fear and worry over many different things. And he's going to focus on some of the things that they were focusing on or worried about and stressed about and full of anxiety over to assure them they don't need to be that way. And so he preaches to them because he knows that for the most part, every day, most of them are just trying to keep their heads above water. You know, tr- trying to get food for the day and, and keeping that food non-perishable was far more difficult than that day it is today. Listen, clean water was far more difficult to find and preserve than it is today today. And so Jesus' message was for all of them. But as I said last week, his attention now has become very focused. It's like in Luke chapter 12 that we look at last week. You can see Jesus' tone changes. It's beautiful. (laughs) If you read it as a tonal change, because it is. He's moved from being going at the Pharisees. He's moved from going after sinful, hypocritical behavior to saying, Hey guys, listen to me. And, and his tonal changes for a purpose. He, he knows who are his. He knows that after he has been crucified, buried, risen from the dead, and ascended, they're going to need to hear these words. Because he knows what's ahead of them. And he knows what's ahead of you and I tomorrow. And so these words are words of care and compassion and love. And so. I also hope that we will see that at the end of the day, Jesus preaches this sermon because he wants you to experience the good life as a Christian, which is the good life, and that you would truly flourish. And so this is more than just good advice. This is loving compassion from your Savior. Point number one, why we should stop worrying is because God is the king of life. Verse 25, we'll put it on screen, as this. Therefore, I tell you, again, Jesus speaking, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? So you, you can tell one of the key words here is obviously the very first word, therefore, right? You're going to see it three times in today's passage. Jesus is concluding his words from last week. He's concluding a whole section of this part of the Sermon on the Mount before he goes on to the last part in chapter 7. But this is a conclusion of really coming out of what he said last week, which was at the very end, remember those last five words? You cannot serve God and mammon. It was about laying up treasures in heaven versus on earth. It was about uncontrolled materialism. His concern for his disciples then, and you and I today, is that we would be looking around and rather being on mission, rather than being the followers of Christ that we've been saved to be, and actually live out the good life that he's called us to, we'll find that just too too attractive. And we'll get drawn back into it. And by the way, his conclusion is, that's, what will cause you to be full of anxiety? That's where it's coming from. So as he said, you remember the previous five words at the end of verse 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. He made it very simple to his disciples, didn't he? He basically says you cannot serve God and money, materialism, material goods, money being the focus. You, You may be tempted to try to, (laughs) right? And we'll also be tempted to love the one over the other. So here what Jesus is doing is he's directing us, as he's been directing them repeatedly to the antidote, to a series of antidotes to our problem. But notice this first. He doesn't suggest that some of them, some of them of us will struggle with materialism, does he? He doesn't sort of say like, listen, this, this may only impact a few of you. No, the way he puts it is he knows full well we all will and that we all do and that they all did. So he assumes they will. Therefore, he tells us, do not be anxious. And the key word that follows is about your life. That word is in totality. He's going to talk about a few individual aspects of our lives, but he's talking about your whole life. Everything about your being the beat of your heart, the breathing of your lungs, the fact that you have a pulse right now. Everything related to our lives. So we might read this and think he's only telling us not to be anxious about food, drink, and clothing, but he chose those three because, A, they represent the very basics of life. Secondly, virtually every other need we have comes out of the basics. And so we can also become materialistic towards every one of them in our lives today. How about we just start with food as an example, okay? So most of you today don't suffer or from a fear, pardon me, or worry about food security, do you? I know one person in my life that does, but, okay. Or shortages. Of food supply, although despite lately there have been some supply chain issues. However, listen in that day they certainly did. They really, really did. So, so today, no, I would suggest, although that's a possibility, at some point in time in our world, I, I would suggest that today our propensity is that we are more prone to a very materialistic view when it comes and a fixation when it comes to food. Now, do any of you remember uh, when a really fun app was first introduced for your lovely phones called Instagram? Do you remember, do you guys remember, do you, do you remember what probably the number one and two purposes or people use those, that app for initially anyway? Remember what it was? One was probably the, well, the selfie, right? I could never take good selfies of myself. I don't, I don't like taking pictures of myself. But anyway... But actually, the one that was most popular in the beginning, which was incredibly annoying, was people taking pictures of what food i mean you 're in a restaurant right and you 're in this restaurant, and of course you 're going to this restaurant, which is pretty expensive in Vancouver, so you want people to, to know that you 're there right and because and, the chef is amazing and, the, this, and and so people I would be sitting in a restaurant and see people they 're not only taking the phone out but they 're setting the, the table <laughs> so, so that the picture looks. Like amazing, right? And then sometimes they'd even stand up and get get the picture from the top, right? None of you ever did that, right? (laughs) Lorraine, put your hand up. (laughs) Okay, come on, I did that. But what's wrong with us? Okay, how about this? I love this. Cookbooks, cooking shows, Food Network, Iron Chef. I remember early on when all these shows were coming on and we were binging them and looking at them and watching Amy Oliver. I I love that. I love the cookie. Some of you know that. And going through all of that. And and someone actually said that, you know, what's happened now is that food has become sexy. Oh, my goodness. Just a thought for you. I was reading one commentator and he, he was mentioning that he read a magazine. You'll find magazines like this on every grocery store shelf. And and he said, basically, in this one issue, this recent issue, he said that in this issue, you can find everything needed for the welfare of the body in this magazine. For example, how to feed it, clothe it, warm it, cool it, fresh it, relax it, entertain it, and, oh yes, titillate it. Self-indulgence is what our culture is actually all about, and we're encouraged to be that way, right? Again, we go back to materialism. We can do that with food. We can do that, and we do do that with food. And so that is a key reason why there is so much anxiety. We could also spend some time considering, of course, how we make drink and clothing into a functional idol, too, right? Okay, I'm not going to go there. I think that was painful enough, don't you think? But just as an example, so then Jesus applies reason. Listen, he again, remember who he's speaking to. The Jewish religious mindset of that day, the worldview of the Jewish people of that day, Second Temple Judaism, it's called, and the Greco-Roman philosophical mindset. And so now Jesus is actually applying, I would suggest to you, reason and logic to our anxiety over the basics of life when he rhetorically asks the question, come on, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Well, yeah, it's rhetorical. Of course, Jesus, it is. And So now Jesus offers us a few examples to help alleviate our anxiety over our two dual needs. They are needs. What we need for our daily sustenance, which is our internal needs, and our exterior need for protection and for warmth. And so in verse 26, he says this, and I can just imagine this. He's standing there on the, on the mount. Again, you know, I want you to picture this. He's on the mountain, right? And they're all there. The, the disciples are in front of him at his feet. And there's probably 500 to 1,000 people listening to him as he speaks. And a flock of birds goes by. Jesus, like, he's God. But he's also really creative, right? But he also goes with what's obvious. And I can just see him pointing to these birds. He goes, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them are you not of much more value than they? So his first example is birds. The birds of the air. So he's pointing up. That's important because he's going to point down soon. Right? But he points up to the birds of the air. So the observation is to look up and, and observe the birds. And it, it's a really beautiful picture. And, desc- and what he does is he actually describes their lifestyle. And he's comparing their lifestyle to yours and to mine in this text. And so basically he's saying, listen, birds do not plant seeds in nice, neat rows in their permaculture garden, do they? (laughs) I just have to get those things in there, okay? (laughs) She's sitting right there, I know. But they don't, do they? We do. We have to. And since they don't plant, they don't technically reap either. They do gather, but, but they don't, for the most part, there are a few rare breeds, for the most part, they don't store them up in barns in their second and third garages. They don't do that. Instead, they forage every day for their needs for that day. That's an important observation. So Jesus's conclusion Again, listen to his heart here. He's speaking personally to you. It's your heavenly Father who feeds them. Your heavenly Father who feeds them, provides what they need daily. Hold on. Let's go back in the Sermon on the Mount just two weeks, three weeks maybe. What did Jesus say about prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. We're supposed to pray that. Daily, and then what? Trust that he'll provide? Yes, for the most part. So, let me ask you this question Do you think birds ever feel anxiety on a daily basis? Well, science will tell you they don't have feelings and emotions like we do, but the reality is they don't act like it. I see them sitting up on our roof and they're just checking their feathers out, whatever, and then all of a sudden they're going, I'm hungry. I think we'll fly down into Genesis permaculture garden and get something to eat. So so Jesus is doing here what he often does. He's doing what's what's called the lesser to greater comparison. And and, and so the primary way we should understand what Jesus is saying is that birds, listen, do not have a father. They have a creator. They don't have a father. He is our father who art in heaven. Right? They do not bear his image. We do. And so the lesser to greater is, if if God so feeds them and cares for them and provides for them daily, how much more will he do that for you? His image bearer. And if you're a follower of Christ, his child. He then adds, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I got to tell you, every time I read this verse, it's like, <clears throat> oh, there's a dart that goes right through me. Like, it's like, I can't believe it. it. It strikes me. My mother, some of you will have met Eunice. She passed away a few years ago. Uh, she is a, she was a self confessed worry wart. anyone ever heard that saying before? Like a worry wart, right? And, and uh, it, it was. Sadly, um, the, the truth is, Mum was on antidepressants and, um, yeah, struggled with emotions uh, most of her life because she worried and worried and worried about my sister and I and about my dad and about life and everything all the time. Well, some of that rubbed off on me. Not blaming Mum, I'm responsible for myself, but some of it did. I remember early on in Janice, remember this, like sometimes I'd be driving around in my business life back in Toronto and all of a sudden I'd be looking at Janice going, I need to go to the hospital. (laughs) I'd have a pain somewhere in my body and I'd be like, I'm dying. Right? Anybody. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy uh, how we can worry, 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 worry. And then I started thinking this week when Jesus talks about this, it's a beautiful picture. He, he talks about adding a single hour to your life. Then I started thinking, okay, let's do the mass. How, 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 when did I start worrying? And, you know, when would I start worrying? When I was 10, 11, 12, 13? I don't know, but I started at some point. And then between then and now, how many hours have I given over to worrying about tomorrow and this and that and what's going on here and what they think, what they don't think? And how many, it's a lot of hours. And then Jesus rhetorically again says, you're putting an awful lot of energy into something that won't even extend your life by one hour. I, I read that, I hear that, and I go, well, Jesus, thanks for that. But there's a lot of anxiety there. So the truth is, I know this. And I want you to hear this. I'm going to die. But the day that I'm going to die, the time that I'm going to die, the day that you're going to die, the time that you're going to die is appointed. appointed. There's really no changing it. It is appointed. Ingrid's day was appointed. Yours and mine too. There's not much we can do about worrying about it. If you're not feeling well, go to the doctor. That's fine, but don't stress and worry about it. Deal with it. And I would go. Oftentimes, I'd walk out of the emergency or whatever, and Janice would go, "Are you going to live?" Because <laughs> the doctor would look at me and go, "You're fine." And no, I'm not giving you pills. Whatever, right? So, the truth is this, though. That kind of anxiety and worry may not actually shorten your days, because I don't believe that logic. But what it will do, from a biblical perspective, what it will do is potentially make the days that you have left in your life less than the good life, less than the feeling that I'm flourishing, And that's what God wants for us, what Jesus wants for us. He then goes on in verses 28 and 29 and says, And when, he says, pardon me, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. So his second example, reason and logic example, is simple but profound. He essentially says, Look at God's creation. And I know most of you who live here in Squamish, you you love God's creation. Why wouldn't you? It's it's beautiful. We have trees. (laughs) A lot of them are beautiful. We also have wildflowers, which is lilies of the field are wildflowers. And and what what Jesus is getting at, even, even if you walk by them, I mean, Jenna said it to me, was it this morning or yesterday? We were walking by somewhere and she went, look at those wildflowers. And I went, sermon illustration tomorrow, wait for it, right? And, but here's the thing. You and I look at them, and some of us, we don't appreciate flowers maybe as much as some other people do, but even you know, guys like me can go, yeah, it's, they're really pretty. But the reality is if you get really close and you get microscopic with them, they're outstanding. They'll blow your mind. The beauty that's built into a flower, a wildflower. Our creator God felt that that was worth doing. Why? It's an inanimate object. And so again, the, the lesser, to greater is, listen, if your heavenly father is prepared to create such beauty for his glory and his honor, he likes them too, by the way, but also for you and I to love and appreciate and see him in it, that's one thing, that's awesome, but the more important part is if he's willing to do that for the animal kingdom and the inanimate kingdom how much more is he going to love, care, and provide for every need that you and I have as his children? So Jesus' point here is this. Your heavenly Father is king of all life. He's the king of all life. I, I know we, we can give assent to that, but I'm imploring you today to hear that and believe it with all your heart. And so, by the way, friends, let me also suggest this to you. Solomon, the richest man of all time, had more and the largest walk-in closets of any human being ever. Okay, speaking about his clothing, okay? That's the point. Solomon was known to be a keen dresser. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, even in all of his glory, so clothing, clothing is what he's getting at. And then he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So again, it's this lesser to greater. Look what our God does even for the flowers and the grasses of the field. And despite their shortness of life, they display his beauty, his power. So why be anxious or why not be anxious? Because our God is the God of all life. That's number one. Number two, because we are the king's children... He goes on and says, therefore, this is the second therefore in the passage, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For listen, the Gentiles, pagans, seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows that. So here again, as I said, we have the second therefore and it arrives at a really critical point. The whole sermon has been highlighting two key themes the theme of the kingdom of God and of the righteousness of God and of the righteousness of those who are in his kingdom, you and I. That's what this whole sermon has been about. So these two verses make a very powerful statement. It's speaking again to the choice we must make about whom we will serve. It also warns against not just being double-minded, but listen being more deeply, but more deeply, I should say, double-hearted. Remember the words from the passage last week? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here Jesus is saying to us, if you let yourself become anxious about the things of this world, then listen, you are being just like the Gentiles and the pagans in this culture and this world today. You're living like them. Another commentator put it this way. The secular world seeks material things because they overestimate their significance to their lives. The characteristic tendency of those without Christ is to be bound by the horizons of earth. So Jesus now provides probably the greatest antidote in this sermon to our problem of anxiety when he says this. But seek first. You all know this verse. Powerful verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what is this antidote? How then should the king's kids live their lives? Well, first, the key key word is here that we are to seek kingdom life. Kingdom life, kingdom righteousness every waking moment of our lives. First, Word That word here points to a singleness of heart, that that every moment that we wake up of every moment of every day, tomorrow, the next day, every day after that, the first thing that we think about at any given time needs to be about this kingdom that we've been invited into and our role in it versus our role in the world. I would challenge you and suggest this. As Christians, we cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. But we try. And for the Christian, that is where great anxiety comes from. So seeking kingdom, his kingdom, primarily means this, being about, obviously, the king's business, the spreading of the rule and reign of Christ, the expansion of his kingdom on earth now, the spreading of the gospel. So seeking his righteousness then involves making his righteousness actually attractive, putting it on display through our lives, the way we live our lives, the way we deal with food, drink, and clothing, material possessions and money, with our bodies, what we do and don't do with them. The Lord tells us that the one who does this is approved. Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Filled with what? Everything that they possibly need. So the antidote to anxiety is not a simplistic stop worrying, but a redirecting of the disciples' vision to a proper heart orientation, accompanied by a promise of provision. Treasure in our hearts the kingdom of God first, and the promise is your heavenly Father will provide everything you need. I love that we sang that song song earlier, right? All the promises. He just promises and promises, and does he keep his promises? Oh, he sure does. Jesus concludes the sermon with these words, the third therefore. Therefore. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The Christian life is a day-to-day life. That's his point. It's a day-to-day. He affirms that there will be trouble in this life. There will be trouble in this life. He's affirming that, but he's also saying it's okay. I promise you I will be with you until the end of the age. I will be there. You are mine. I will protect you. I will care for you even through your troubles. Do not worry. Live for today. Point number three, and we'll close with this, might be surprising to you. I thought it was when I wrote it down. Why? Why should you stop worrying? Why should we no longer be anxious and worry about these things? Well, because the kingdom is yours. Do you understand that? I mean, do you even remotely believe that? Like, well, it's the kingdom of God. How is it possible? It's mine. Well, as I mentioned to you last week, and I'll show it to you on the screen this morning, Luke chapter 12 is a kind of an expanded version of some of these teachings of Jesus. And Luke, probably interviewing Matthew and a few of the other disciples because he wasn't there at the time, he writes these words in Luke 12, verses 32 to 34 which start with these words. Look at this. Fear not. What's that saying? Do not be anxious. Little flock. Do you hear the tone? My little ones. My kids. Look at these words. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is Jesus. It's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. His point, and he's gonna go on here, is this if you and I really knew what we already possessed, what we're going to possess for all of eternity, we'd never worry from day to day. Okay, I've been preaching this to myself all week. Okay, please hear me, okay, right now. But I'm preaching it to you right now. And that's why he goes on and says these things right here. He says, he goes, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves money bags with uh, with with money bags that do not roll, with the treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, and there it is again, for where your treasure is, there you were, your heart will be also. His point is, if you really knew and believed and lived every day that the kingdom is yours, you possess it, you live in it, you are part of it, and your job is to go out and welcome everybody else into it by preaching the gospel to them, you'd sell everything. If it was about... You Being able to buy it, you would sell everything to do it. Thankfully, there's the gospel, (laughs) and we didn't have to do anything. It's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom if we place our faith and trust in the finished work of his Son on the cross for us. I watched a brief video this past week by someone many of you will know. His name was David Paulison. Uh, He passed away, sadly, a few years ago, great biblical counselor, speaker. Uh, He said this uh, about this subject. We all have some good reasons to be anxious. Life's trials and circumstances can be very challenging. So we should be comforted from knowing that and that Jesus does understand. (laughs) That's why he preached this sermon. He understands. Then he added this. The most frequent command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Do not fear or be anxious. And it's a very unusual command because it doesn't say, repent, try harder. It's not the way it's put across. It's a command, but then the next thing is a promise. I'll be with you. It's okay. I got you. We've got this. Do not fear. You don't have to. Don't be afraid. So, friends, I agree with with David. Jesus displays his love for us here, not by some authoritarian guilt trip. Listen, you need to stop worrying, or I don't know if I'm still going to want you to be part of my kingdom. No, not even remotely. He's saying it because you don't have to anymore. You just don't have to. You can stop it. You just have to trust me, okay? And why again? Because our God is the king of life. We are the king's children, and the kingdom is ours. The Apostle Paul synthesized this really well in Philippians 4, 4-7. I'll just read it for you. He said this, The Lord is at hand. That's the promise. I will be with you. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. There's the command. And then he follows with the antidote. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Feeling anxiety? You're worrying a little bit? Stressed? Pray. With a thankful heart. And ask him to help you with And then comes an incredible promise. Paul wrote, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray with me, would you?